So my hope this morning is to, is to uh, share with you from the Word of God and have you leave this place with just a sense of how much God loves you and how much He wants a relationship with you. You know, God loves us all. Um, he wants a relationship with us, but many times we're blinded to, to that because of our own, our own sin, because of our own shame. We, we, we hold ourselves back. But God is a loving Father, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, rich in love. Um, he finds it most natural to love. That's who he is. Um, he is patient and kind. I recently went to a, an event with some of you, which was the uh, training ground at Pine Knolls Alliance Church, where we heard from a speaker. That's right, you were there. Uh, and he was sharing about uh, about different spiritual disciplines to draw near to God through Christ. And he brought something that has become very, very helpful to me as a symbol. Anyone recognize what this is? A trellis, yeah. So this is uh, one that I got off eBay, and I bought, I bought a bunch of these for, uh, for uh, people that came to the conference because of how impactful it was to me as a symbol. But the, uh, the person that spoke at this conference was talking about the early Christian monastic movement where monks were seeking after the Lord in the desert. They called them the Desert Fathers. And a whole, a whole part of Christian history uh, during the time when, 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 when everyone had one holy and Catholic church, if you will, there were these monks that went into the desert and just sought after the Lord and withdrew from society in order to seek after the Lord. And they followed what is called a rule, which sounds like boring or not fun rules? Who likes rules? Um, but rule is not in the sense of like something to be followed or, or a, um, a have to, but a rule is actually a trellis. And so the monks will spend certain hours of the day praying, so in the morning, the afternoon, the evening, and, they, and, and prayer will be part of their trellis. Um, fellowship with one another and serving each other and serving one another is part of their trellis. Studying scripture is part of their trellis. And the whole point of the trellis is to keep the monastic person in, in, in the sunlight so that he can bear much fruit. Basically, the idea is if you abide in Christ, you can bear much fruit, but apart from him, you can do nothing. You can do nothing apart from Christ. And so we are challenged by the speaker to arrange our lives in such a way with our spiritual disciplines, with our prayer, our study of scripture, our service, that all of these things would form this wonderful trellis which will hold us near to Jesus Christ's presence and cause us to be informed to his image and cause us to bear fruit, fruit that will last. So, you know, my hope today is that uh, as we look into Isaiah 55, we can see a, catch a vision of who God is, which will cause us to come, come to him in relationship and cling to him and abide in him um, in a way that we haven't before that we would have our own rule of life, uh, each of us, that we use to draw near to God, that we use to abide in Christ. Today's passage is Isaiah 55, 6-9. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, he will freely pardon. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Today is about transformation over information. We have so much information these days that we're overloaded with it. But what God wants us to do is to come to him for transformation. That's what the rule of life is all about, drawing near to Jesus to be transformed. In John 5.39, Jesus criticized the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, saying to them, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that speak about me. But you refuse to come to me to have life. What's he saying is, what he's saying is, you know, life change, life comes from connecting to Jesus. Some people read the Bible and they gain information, but they don't ever come to the one which the Bible is pointing to, who is Jesus Christ, the living and active presence of Jesus in our lives and our world today. I never want to be someone who studies the scriptures becomes smarter and smarter and smarter in God, but fails to come to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that brings life change and transformation. Jesus is the one that makes all of the difference. We're progressing through, through a book called, uh, called Gentle and Lowly, which is all about us um, changing the way we think about God and understanding just a, a little bit more about the love of God and Jesus Christ. And today I'm going to be sharing the big ideas from, the, from this book in chapter 17. And my hope is that as we look at Isaiah 55, uh, we, we will be convinced of God's love for us and his willingness to receive us when we come to him every time. So after we've looked at the scripture a little bit, we're going to um, take time to allow our relationship with God to be renewed by the knowledge of what we receive in the scripture, and we'll end with, with worship together. The author of our book, Gentle and Lowly, mentioned that when bad things happen, uh, Christians often will comfort one another with words that may well be true. Um, they, they say to each other, well, God's ways are higher than our ways. God has a plan. There's something else going on here that we can't see. And that's definitely a good thing. That's definitely true. God is working in the background. And when we're disoriented, it's good to remember that God's working in the background, that there's more going on than meets the eye. Part of why we do faith stories Talking, bringing into the light what God is doing um, when we don't see it. But this verse, Isaiah 55, uh, verse 8, it talks about the idea of um, th this, this verse in Isaiah 55, 8 um, is talking about has, the, has that phrase that's captured in, in um, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And the context of that is the grace and love of God. So we're going to take a look at this. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways is a statement about um, the, the, the graciousness and the love of God that's found in the preceding uh, parts of the scripture. Isaiah 55, 6-9 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to God, and he will have and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. The first part of this passage says, 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. God calls us to seek him at any time, to call on him. And God, even if you look at this passage, he even invites the wicked to return to him. And what does it say that will happen to the wicked when they return to God? It says, When the wicked forsake their ways and turn to God, and the unrighteous their thoughts, that God will have mercy on them and freely pardon them. Freely and abundantly pardon them. We don't have to wonder how God is going to receive us when we come to him. Because even the wicked who forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts are freely pardoned by God. Another way of saying that would be greatly pardoned or fully pardoned. Um, it's, it's this wonder of God. And this is what we're talking about when we talk about the idea of his ways being higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts. Jesus freely pardons the wicked who come to him and forsake their ways and the righteousness who forsake their, their, their uh, unrighteous thoughts. He freely pardons them, and then he, for, he forgives them, it says in, in 103, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west. In other words, an impossible distance, an impossible gulf is set between a person's sin and, uh, and that person. God separates it from them when they come to him in faith. This is what this passage is saying when it says that God's ways are higher than our ways. We don't do that. We, we, we hold a memory of when someone sins against us. And even when they repent and come to us and make it right, we still carry this painful memory in our hearts, which over time, we hope, gets smaller and smaller so we can love the, that person again. But when the wicked come to God, he freely pardons them. He waits for them to come, then he freely pardons them, separates their sin from them as far as the east is from the west, because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His grace, his love and forgiveness is deeper than the little bit of love, grace, and forgiveness that we have in our hearts. And in fact, any love, grace, or forgiveness we show to other people is in response to the fact that God's shown love, grace, and forgiveness to us. You know? Um, that's why it says that you can't love God and hate your brother at the same time. Because hating your brother, not, not forgiving your brother, is evidence that you have not uh, received or responded properly to the grace God's given you, right? We love because he first loved us. We forgive anyone who sins against us because he first forgave us. And he loves and forgives us and, and takes care of us because his ways are higher than our ways. He freely, abundantly pardons us. So the first part of this passage, it just tells us Based on who God is, this is what you're to do. Seek the Lord while he may be found, which is any time, any time God can be found. Call on him while he is near. Even let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and God will have mercy on them. To our God, he will freely pardon them. God will freely, abundantly pardon us. We don't have to wonder about this. Um, we, we often wander from God. We do. We, we drift from God. We look everywhere but to God sometimes. And we're trying to get through life from day to day, from week to week, from month to month. But even so, even in our wandering, God makes us a promise that when we return to him and turn to him in sincerity, he doesn't just half-heartedly receive us and say, well, I guess I'll 
I'll forgive you based on what I did on the cross. But in fact, he freely, abundantly pardons us by his grace. Now, this is something we have to get into our heads and into our hearts. I think we spend so much time in a sort of self-exile where we think, you know, I need to wait a certain number of days between my sin and coming back to God. And, and we just spend all this time away from our relationship with God when he wants us to come to him so he can freely pardon us. Um, we need to get this into our heads, into our hearts, to see that, yeah, it's true. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His grace, his love, forgiveness, it's like nothing that we have experienced before. And it liberates. It really does liberate. Anyone can come to him and receive this. In God's word, God works to convince us of his love and grace. Particularly, Jesus Christ works hard to convince the people he taught and worked with that they could come to the Father freely. One of the places that is most poignant is in Luke 15. This is the parable of the lost son in uh, 1511. And this is a parable that God, that Jesus told to talk about this uh, way that God functions, which is above our ways and above our thoughts. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a severe after, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your words. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But then this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, and you kill the fattened calf for him. My father, my son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found.
one thing you'll notice in this passage is that, um, number one, the younger son truly was, it was truly a, uh, an extreme situation. He told the father, let's pretend that you're dead. Let's divide your property between me and my brother so I can have my money. Then the younger son went and squandered it all, all the money he'd gotten from his father on wild living and prostitutes. He decides, my life is pretty bad, so he starts to return home and hoping that his father will take him in as a servant or a slave so at least he can have food to eat. But God's ways are, are, are above our ways. Uh, the father is on the porch watching down the street for his young son to return. This is above our ways. This is not how we function. The father is waiting on the porch. And from a long way off, he sees his son. He runs out to meet him, and uh, the son gives his pre-prepared speech, hoping to, to secure that, uh, that servanthood, that slavery of his father's. But his father just doesn't seem to hear him. Kill the fattened calf. Give him my robe. Give him my, my good sandals and my good ring. Let's celebrate because my son is back. God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His grace, love, and forgiveness are beyond and pale in comparison to the greatest example we've seen of those things in our lives. I'm convinced of that. Convinced of it. The love of God is greater than we know. But God's love goes even deeper than that. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So what did the father do? He went out and reasoned with him, pleaded with him. Not only was the father looking for the younger son to come home, the obedient son he saw storm, storm out, and the father went to him as well and began to plead with him, saying, essentially, we need to celebrate your brother. He's back. Um, every, but everything I have is yours. And the, and the son, as, as we often know, uh, with sibling rivalry, you know, the son goes on to um, enumerate why the, why the younger son doesn't deserve any of this. And the father just patiently says to him, look, everything I have is yours. You know, in other words, you want to kill a fattened calf and have it with your friends? Fine. That's totally fine. My grace is, is, is for you as well, my older son. The older son doesn't receive that or understand that. But we see it. We see that God is the father who goes, who watches for the prodigal son to return home, but also has love and grace for the older son who is smoldering in anger, angry that the father would love the younger son enough to receive him back in, those kind, in this kind of way. Again, this is an example of God's ways being higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts. He's a, a good father. Listen to Paul in Romans 8, 38-39. Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, okay, angels or demons, the present or the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor any, anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's, God's ways are higher than our ways, guys. Death cannot separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Demons cannot separate us. The, 
present nor the future circumstances or any of our anxiety about our days or any powers in the world, height or depth, or anything, anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God. That is something that we, that's foreign to us. A love that's unbreakable in Christ. That's exactly what God has for all of us. His ways are higher than our ways. If death cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ, then you know what can. It says any power, any power, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not sin, not our sin, not even death. No spiritual powers, no anxieties about, worries about the past, anxieties about the present and the future. Nothing in all creation can separate us. And even our days, our days difficulties, the difficulties we go through in a day, um, or the hardships we endure, the grief we experience, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Sometimes the challenge is to simply believe the good news. And this is one of those days. To just believe the good news that God loves you, that God, that his ways are higher than our ways, that when we come to him, even if we are in sin, if we come to him in repentance, he receives us and abundantly forgives us. That's who he is. That's why we can seek the Lord and call on him, because he will freely pardon us. Acts 17, 26 and 27 says this, For in one man God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God placed you where you are in the world and the circumstances of your life so that you would seek him perhaps to reach out for him and find him. It says we are, he is not far from any of us. You know, God wants us to experience this truth of his grace. To turn to him, even now in this service, in sincerity. To experience him. To know that God loves you and desires to freely pardon your sin. That's why he came in Christ. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He came because God so loved us and the world and wanted to make an unshakable way so we could have unbroken fellowship with God the Father. That's the unshakable way is through the cross. Because if it was up to us and our works to be saved or to be in a relationship with God, you know, it could never be enough. God knows that. Knows that. So God made a way through Christ that was once for all. That all who looked to Jesus receive the good news, get to come right to God and receive the love, grace, forgiveness that he longs to freely lavish upon his children. Now we struggle with, with this image of God. The God of mercy and grace, the God of grace and truth. You know, he's so unlike us. You know, we keep track of wrongs. Sometimes we keep track of rights. <laughs> um, we sometimes feel we are doing pretty well, and then we, we suddenly drift away from our relationship with God, because suddenly, subconsciously, we think, you know, I don't really need God. I'm doing pretty good today. I'm really doing a good job. Um, and then we crash, because not believing we need God is pride, and there's no pride in love. 
The, the atonement swallows up all these ideas. Jesus' death on the cross swallows up all these ideas of keeping score and pours mercy, love, and grace on each of us weary travelers. And it says in the word that his mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is sure. His ways are higher than ours. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him when he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon us. Now these verses tell us what God does, does for us when we come to him. He, he asks to be, be sought after. He promises that if we seek after him, he will be found. We call on the name of God through Jesus Christ, believing that he is near to all of us, that he delights to be found by us when we seek after him. And when we turn to him, he immediately pours out his mercy on us and freely, abundantly pardons us. This is what God does, does for us. And all of these great things God does in relationship with us are rooted in who God is. Now, God is love. If you read the second part of the Isaiah 55 passage again, you see this foreign, different experience of God, like nothing you've ever experienced, is love. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God is trying to convince us in this that we can trust in his loving reception of us. He will receive us because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Um, and as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how different God's thoughts and ways are from ours. That's really different. Heavens and the earth. Another place in the word that talks about this phrase as high as the heavens are the earth, is our, our psalm, Psalm 103, from our call to worship, where it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for those who fear him. As high as the heavens are of the earth. That's limitless. As far as the writers of Scripture were concerned, the heavens and the earth are an unlimited distance. It's like going from east to west, you know, branching out for all eternity. God's, that's how great God's love is those who fear him. Limitless. His ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55 is, is trying to convince us, just come to God boldly, despite sin. Because as high as the heavens are the, above the earth, so great is God's love for those who fear him. God longs to pour out forgiveness on us and pardon our sin. He just wants us to come to him. Again, I think that we, we get caught up in performance in doing the right things in order to earn or get into God's good graces. Not realizing that God's grace is good enough without our help. And we get in on God's graces just by coming to him and presenting ourselves to him. And God is different. God is other than us. He shows mercy, receives us, and loves us. He is the prodigal father in the story. The one who receives both the, the, the one that wasted their life and their wealth and the one who faithfully stood by uh, in service. You know, God loves them both. And Jesus will never put to shame anyone who trusts in him. 
The Isaiah passage ends in verse 12 and 13 with these words. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. God loves us. God goes before us. God redeems our lives from the pit. Hebrews 4, 14 to, 14 to 17 says this. Since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For do, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but who did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 